I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Accepted the, the podcast. podcast, and I'm not Theo. I'm not Juliet. Awesome! It's great that we're who we are and not someone else. And we'll be talking about that actually in today's podcast. Ooh, look, you're so smart. Isn't that the best? Um, Theo, how's your week been? What's shaking bacon? What's shaking bacon? <laughs> okay, well, um, so I told you pre-show. I'll just confess it to the audience that during the week I whatever, something will happen and I'll be like, God, this is so cool. I should mention this on the podcast. And then I forget about it. So, so I started smart. keeping notes and my notes don't make any sense. But um, <laughs> I, I think I've got a handle on a couple of things. So one thing that I wanted to share with you and the audience is, um, you know, that my husband is Scottish and he has a Scottish accent. And we go True. to Scotland, and I hear Scottish accents a lot for a couple of weeks. Yep. And so I can't do a Scottish accent, nor should I ever try to do a Scottish <laughs> accent. It's awful. It sounds like a drunk leprechaun. And by leprechaun, I mean, what was that guy that chased the rainbow? The Cheerio? A leprechaun? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah Where's me Lucky mean. Charms guy? Whatever yeah, cereal oh that God. is. That's that's Irish. Oh, God. And I just said, whatever cereal that is, and the cereal is Lucky Charms. <laughs> Advertising, it works. Um, okay, ready? So here's yeah. how anybody can have a Scottish accent if you want to talk about the Spice Girls, right? Okay. So remember the Spice Girls musical group, whatever, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So... Well, of course, we have this thing called outer space. So the first word is um, just the single word, base, right? Now, yeah. you're going to take that word and you're going to um, follow it with a, with, hmm, it's not an American word, English word, whatever, Theo, who cares where the word comes from? Um, it's plural for where groups of people typically live. And traditionally, those places are understood to be underprivileged and it starts with a G. Ghettos? Exactly. So, okay. first word, space, and second word, plural. And just say space it a couple ghettos? of times. Space mm-hmm. ghettos? Is that right? Uh-huh. Say it again. Space ghettos. Yes, the musical group. Weird. I know, right? It sounds so Scottish. <laughs> that, may, that was a long way to get there. I should have just said space ghettos. Space ghettos. Space ghettos. Um, okay, and then uh, it also occurred to me that the most unfortunate name in history came from our Salem Witch Trial episode, and I didn't use it. Um, what? It is Dorcas Whore. I don't get it. It's a real name. It's a lady's name. She was accused oh, of being a, a witch. That's her real name? Uh-huh. Her, her last name is Whore? H-O-A-R, Whore. Oh, wow. And her first name Whore is thing. Dorcas which, Dorcas. I don't know. I knew if, someone named Dorcas in high school. Oh, God, that's sad. So, 
of course, there's the word dork, right? Yeah. And I used to call my friend Jody Dorcas a lot because I just thought it was the <laughs> female version of dork, right? So oh my God. it's bad. It's really bad. Um, You're so mean to your friends. I know. It's so funny. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, there's a new podcast. It's called, Sl well, it's not new. Slow Burn's been around for a while, but their new episode is out, or new season is out. You, I'm, I do a podcast. You think I would know the vocabulary, right? Uh, and this You're one, fine. they're doing Rodney King and the LA Riots. And um, the oh. guy who originally filmed, of course, this was back in the 90s when we didn't have phone cameras. So... The fact that he had a, a a video camera, that's the word I'm looking for. I yeah. was trying to say VCR. Yeah. The fact that he had right. a video camera, it was huge, huge, right? Are you yeah. a director? Wow. Um, They're expensive. And so he filmed the Rodney King beating, right? And without right. that film, um, right. the cops version of the story was just, um, you know, the cops look good and Rodney King was yeah. bad and deserved the beating that he got. Uh, he put up a fight, which isn't what mm -hmm. happened at all, right? He mm -mm. just lay there and passively, without any resistance, uh, was beaten was by beaten. several cops for a very long time. And so yes. uh, George Holiday from his apartment balcony, captured this on film and oh. released it. Um, and hey, whatever, like, I'm not going to tell the story of the podcast, but that, but that's the podcast, right? It, it goes into all oh, of the detail. It's really it's so good. I'll right? have to listen to that. What's it called again? It's called Slow Burn. And Slow Burn. Uh, okay. episode one was just released. Uh, I love a lot of Slow Burn seasons. And so actually they did um, Monica Lewinsky, I think, for season one. Oh, Might have been season two. So it's, it, they're really good, right? Um, unfortunately, George Holiday uh, passed away in September of this year from oh. COVID. Uh, he was 61 oh. years old. Yeah. Oh. Very, very sad. And then as a transition, this is sort of a news update because like my week was really boring. Um, you'll remember that our friend Rob Bigelow, who owns Skinwalker Ranch, still one of our more right. popular episodes, moved yes. on to the Institute for Consciousness to yes. study like is there life after death? What happens when people die? What, what's going on? What, after right? his son died. Yeah. After his son died. Um, and he shifted his his uh, interest from flying interest saucers to, to consciousness after consciousness death. Consciousness after death is survival after death. And um, November 1st was the, hey, everybody, we've got our findings. Well, that's not what was going on at all. What? What happened was I thought it was proof of life after death. But it's more like essays about studies oh, yeah. on life yeah, after yeah. death, right? Yeah, yeah. So on November 1st, they released their winners. Uh, they had several dozen winners. And these winners' essays will be combined into a book that will be um, shared for free, apparently. Nice. And um, yeah, cool. And so the book's not out yet. So I'm like, well, I kind of want to know. Nice follow-up. Yeah, totally. It's time. Yeah. That came to me when I was at a stoplight. Like, oh, I should find Brilliant. out what's going on with that. So, um, yeah, that's been my week. And the, that brings you the, your evening news. <laughs> what awesome. about you? What's Shake and Thank Bacon? Thank you. Um, what's Shake and Bacon? I took my car in to be serviced. That's super exciting. Fascinating. Um, I know. And it's all included in the purchase price of the car. So I didn't have to pay a penny, which is 
beautiful. Um, and it's the first time I've been downtown. It's, it's For some reason, the, there are a lot of car service places in the Tenderloin, which is near downtown, very close to, close to Union Square, um, which strikes me as odd. I mean, I would think in 2021, all that, all that real estate would be used for other things, but I guess not. And there's still car places down there. But, um, but yeah, it's the first time I've been downtown in like two years since, since COVID started. So it's, it's all very much the same as it always has been. Um, so that's an exciting report. Um, what else? I got some really cool new slippers. <laughs> oh my god! Well, fashion. It's been an exciting week. Yes, they're very plush and fluffy. Um, and there was one more thing I was going to tell you about, and I've completely forgotten what it was. Uh, so, podcast. Um, oh yeah, thank you. So I've been listening to um, the Dropout, which is the podcast about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. And right now, uh, for some reason, Apple Podcasts, which sucks major dick right now after the update um was not downloading the new episodes for me so i I only had the october 19th episode to listen to and that's i'm stuck back there because i'm i'm i haven't that's the last one i've had a chance to listen to and it's about um how some of the jurors are trying to get off because they they feel guilty for sentencing elizabeth Holmes. they would feel guilty for sentencing elizabeth holmes to many years in prison which is kind of funny i mean didn't you know that was a possibility when you joined the jury but uh, it's also interesting that it seems to be going that way, that they seem to think she's guilty. And and to me, um, with my work in the pharmaceutical field, although I'm not a, a lab manager or a scientist or anything like that, um, it just seems to me ridiculous on the face of it that people would believe that what they said, Theranos said they could do was even possible. That they were going to take one drop of blood and do all kinds of tests on it and get results for all kinds of diseases. And you need vials of blood to do that now and there's I, I can't think how I can't think of any way how you could go from vials of blood to just one drop without intermediate steps so it's um it's disappointing but it's typical of silicon valley that somebody would come along with some great new disruptive idea and people would throw money at it so i'm very interested to see how the trial sorts itself out and to hear the remaining um, episodes of the podcast that I haven't had a chance to hear yet. Oh, it's so good. I I listened to it um, and really enjoyed it. Didn't know a lot about Elizabeth Theranos, and, or it's not even her last Elizabeth name. Holmes. Thank you Holmes. so much. Yes, yeah. Theranos. But just the name of the company, Theranos, it sounds ominous. Come on. Mm-hmm. It's like Greek for death or I don't know, something. It doesn't it sound good. It seems like it. No, it sounds really bad, and you know you're going to invest in something called Theranos. It seems like you're getting what you asked for, but <laughs> yeah, right. And like you know, I get her position, which was this has to be possible, and with enough money, we can figure anything out. But they did pretty. I mean, I don't know that anybody died from um, a lack of care based on Theranos results. But they for sure lied to sick people. Oh yeah, they 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 took money from investors, which is one thing. I mean, I yeah, guess I can't feel too bad go about ahead. that. But yeah, <laughs> go ahead and do that. Get all the money you want. But but yeah, if you're giving hope to sick people, that you're, you're whatever. I don't need to go there. We all we all know how we feel. Yes, it is. It's bad, 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 bad. It's bad, 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 bad. Okay. Elizabeth. Well, speaking of bad, 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 let's talk about. <laughs> People who wear other gender clothing. That's a that's bad. bumpy transition. No. I... <laughs> You're getting in trouble already, and we just started. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, we're talking about Billy Porter today. Um, and you may know Billy Porter for his awards show outfits, as Theo is alluding to. But he has been around. Uh, he is a Tony, Grammy, and Emmy award winner and was the first openly gay black man to be nominated for and win in any leading acting category at the primetime Emmys. So he started out as a theatrical singer and a mainstream pop vocalist, and he was on Star Search in 1992, uh, where he won $100,000 on the same show as Britney Spears. Did you happen to see that show, Theo? I'm familiar. I never saw that episode, but I am familiar with Star Search. Yeah, so people go on trying to become famous for whatever it is they do, singing, dancing, whatever. Yeah, it was kind of America's Got money. Talent, just yeah, under a different like title. The original, the OG America's Got Talent. And I didn't watch Brit- the Britney Spears um, section, but I did watch the Billy Porter section. And it- it's interesting to note, like for the purposes of our conversation today, that he was conventionally dressed as a man in this appearance. But his singing was outstanding. Um he he has had roles in multiple Broadway and off-Broadway shows. I, I think the first one that I encountered was uh, Teen Angel in the 94 Broadway revival of Grease and uh, many other shows, including a one-person autobiographical show called Ghetto Superstar, The Man That I Am, which was off-Broadway in 2005. And I would have liked to have seen that. I bet it was interesting. Um, he then originated the role of Lola in Kinky Boots on Broadway in 2013, which is a Harvey Weinstein-written um, role, uh, uh, sorry, musical, and Cindy Lauper wrote the music. Did you see Kinky Boots? I've seen the movie version of it. I didn't know There's that Cindy Lauper. Yeah, well, listen to both discovering things. I didn't know that Cindy Lauper <laughs> wrote the music for it. Good you for didn't her. Know that? No. Um, oh my God. That's I like, like the only Cindy thing I Lauper, know about it. But yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I yeah. mean, I love Cindy Lauper, but I like her music. Right. I didn't know uh, it was Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein, whatever, however the hell he pronounces his name. Uh, Isn't he canceled? Didn't we cancel him? Yeah, he's been canceled. Yeah, he's canceled. And I don't know if he's still in jail. He's probably not in jail, but uh, he's facing jail time. Uh, yeah. He's start, he didn't start the Me Too movement, but like he was the first oh, person the who... that was... Yeah. 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 He's, he's bad. Condemned. It, bad, 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 bad. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> and he wore males, cl- males clothing. High English. Harvey Weinstein? Yeah, yeah. So I was trying to make a dumb joke. It didn't work. Or it did work. It was a dumb joke. That's fine. You saw the movie Kinky Boots. Was it worth seeing? Should I see it? Eh. All right. Eh. Was was Billy Porter in it? I don't remember. I don't think so. Because I I think I would have run into that if he had been in the movie. But I'll check it out. Um, But anyway, um, he did win a Tony for Best Actor in a Musical for his role of Lola in Kinky Boots. He's also released three solo albums, which are sort of Broadway tunes, or or I guess are Broadway tunes. Um, He wrote a play. He reprised the role of Lola in 2017 on Broadway. And then he started his run on the show's Pose and American Horror Story in 2018 which was only four years ago, three years ago. Um, he's been in a Taylor Swift video, which I watched and which was fun, and performed at the 2020 Democratic National Convention with Stephen Stills and released a memoir in 2021. He opened up about his HIV-positive status in May 21, and there is a Netflix documentary about his life, which uh, I believe is still in the works. It may be finished now, uh, but I have not seen it. So oh, God, I'm I got so excited. Okay, it's not out yet. It's not out yet. Okay. I really want to, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it'll be great. Um, 
Yeah, so he's perhaps best known, however, for his style. He attributes his love of fashion from an early age to growing up in the black church, which he describes as a fashion show. His style's gone through many phases over the years, including vintage, Abercrombie and Fitch, and geek chic. And he said that he intentionally set out to use fashion in a political way to be a walking piece of political art. He's designed many of his uh, outfits and red carpet looks himself, along with his stylist, Sam Rattel. I believe he has a new stylist now, though. I don't have his name. Um, but I think uh, Sam Rattel was his stylist for many years, up until 2020 or 2021. In the uh, 2019 Gold Globes, he wore an embroidered suit and pink cape designed by Randy Rahm. And he said the fact that people were surprised that he wore a cape inspired him to ask Christian Siriano if he could create him a ball gown because it was something he had always wanted to wear. And I had not realized that Christian Siriano designed that ball gown. I remember when Christian Siriano was on that show. What was that show? Oh, it's people... called It's called Don't Judge Me. No, that's not it. It's called <laughs> America's Top Designer. That's not it. It's something Heidi. like that. Heidi's on it. I love Heidi. Um, yeah, and that dude that I like. Yeah. Well, no, I don't like his designs, but I know who you're talking about. Uh, it's MK, Mario. Something. No, no. The, the white-haired dude. Oh, Tim Gunn. Okay, the only yeah, name yeah. I know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's called... Uh, it's called Project Design, Design Project. It's called Project All Runway. Right, something Jesus. like that. Oh my God. Project Runway, that's it. Yes, I <sighs> remember when he was on Project Runway. And Me too. I actually watched, was watching um, reality shows at that point in my life, and, and now he's designing um, ball gowns for Billy Porter to wear on the, on the red carpet, which is fucking amazing. And I know Christian Siriano also designs clothes for larger women, which is fucking awesome. So um, that's like one of his things. Now a designer, not a designer, he's a judge on Project Runway. Oh, he is? Yeah. Project Runway is still around? Project Runway is still around. I don't, I'm sure it's a reboot because they, they closed it and retired oh, it. Oh, I see. Tim and Heidi um, started their own alternate version of um, Project Runway, and I can't remember the name of that, and it's on a different channel. I don't know. And then I kind of just stopped okay. watching. Okay, okay. That's cool. Well, I'm glad it's still going on because it was kind of fun. Um, although it seemed like they put those people through a lot, but I guess that's the whole point of reality shows. So uh, Christian Siriano um, designed the ball gown, and um, Porter said that it seemed like a way to challenge people's idea of masculinity, which he sort of got interested in when he did the Lola role in Kinky Boots. So he was interested in challenging toxic masculinity. Um, and uh, he, he wore that outfit from Christian Siriano to the 91st Academy Awards, and it was quite, it caused quite the stir. But then... Um, he attended the Met Gala, I think, in 2019, and the theme was camp, notes on fashion, and he arrived being carried on a litter by six shirtless men wearing a sun god ensemble, and his outfit had a bejeweled cat suit outfitted with 10-foot wings, a 20-foot carat gold headpiece, custom gold-leaf Giuseppe Zanotti shoes, and jewels by Andreoli, John Hardy, and Oscar Heyman. And do you remember that outfit? That was something. I never fact, saw that. The fact that he was carried in by six shirtless men was just fucking amazing. I think that was brilliant and just beautiful. And his outfit was amazing. It was just gorgeous. Um, he didn't uh, He didn't leave it there, though. In 2020, he wore a floor-length pink poncho-style gown with a wide-brimmed black hat, a look he called Handmaid's Tale Realness. <laughs> uh, he wore, wore that to the AFI Awards. And to the Golden Globes, he wore an all-white outfit, including a tuxedo jacket with a feathered train. He wore a sparkling turquoise bodysuit with a matching bolero and a motorized hat to the Grammy Awards. Now, I'm sure you've seen that that motorized hat. I have not. 
Can you me? haven't? I have not. It's no. so fun. You have to Google it. I mean, I won't make you Google it right now, but you have to Google it. It's just the funnest thing, and it and it became a meme for a, a bunch of. Yeah, I hear you googling it now. <laughs> <laughs> Look up turquoise motorized hat, Billy Porter. Um, it, it's just the coolest thing I've ever seen, and. Um, so he he became famous for his outfits, many of which he designed on his own, and all this made it even more annoying for Billy Porter when this time last year Vogue put Harry Styles on the cover in a dress, and Harry Styles looked uncomfortable and boring. Um, Harry Styles has avoided stating his sexual orientation, by the way. Um, Billy Porter responded to this with, I created the conversation, and yet Vogue still puts Harry Styles, a straight white man, in a dress on their cover for the first time. I'm not dragging Harry Styles, but he is the one you're going to try and use to represent this new conversation. He doesn't care. He's just doing it because it's the thing to do. Which Have you found the hat? I did, yeah. And it is, it is amazing. <laughs> and I have yeah. no doubt that anything that Billy Porter wears um, on the red carpet is going to be amazing. Stunning. Yeah, and it it walks a very great line between camp and yep. high fashion. It manages Absolutely. to do both extremely well. And so, uh, hats off to him. <laughs> Thank <laughs> oh, <God>. you. Thank <laughs> you. So, okay, so let's talk about the apology now. There is an apology in here. Um, Billy Porter apologized to Harry Styles, and in his apology, he said, The first thing I want to say is, Harry Styles, I apologize to you for having your name in my mouth. It's not about you. The conversation is not about you. And he said that on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert this past Thursday. In another interview with the UK Sunday Times, he said, um, I created the conversation, and yet Vogue still put Harry Styles, a straight white man, in a dress on their cover for the first time. I changed the whole game, and that is not ego, that is just fact. I was the first one doing it, and now everybody is doing it. I'm not dragging Harry Styles, but he doesn't care. He's just doing it because it's the thing to do. This is politics for me. This is my life. I had to fight my entire life to get to the place where I could wear a dress to the Oscars and not be gunned down. All he has to do is be white and straight. It is about the systems of oppression and erasure of people of color who contribute to the culture, Porty said. Now that's a lot to unpack. I'm willing to unpack it sans the dragging and cancel culture of the internet because I do not now, nor will I ever, adjudicate my life or humanity in sound bites on social media. So when you're ready to have the real conversation, call a bitch. I'm sorry, Harry. I didn't mean no harm, he reiterated. I'm a gay man. We like Harry. He's cute. Aw, that, you know, not to... Not to tip my hand right now, but yeah. I'll say that's a, yeah, that's, a, that's very honest. It's a real, it manages to apologize to Harry Styles for Billy Porter's personal reaction and his anger, yeah. right? But his anger yeah. isn't based at Harry Styles as a person. It's, it's again, you know, it's anger generated by a system. True. And he's a True. thousand percent right. Uh, black queer people make culture, change culture, and get erased from culture. Absolutely true. No question. Um, I'm not going to argue with that, but I am going to argue with him saying that he is the first one to do it. So what I well, say is, yeah. okay, okay, Billy Porter, you've established yourself as a legitimate icon, but you are not the first. No. So the first person, I'm going to tell you who the first was. Oh! <laughs> the first person 
person known to describe himself as the queen of drag in America was William Dorsey Swan, who was born a slave in Maryland, who in the 1880s started hosting drag balls in Washington, D.C., attended by other men who were formerly enslaved, parties which were often raided by the police. He was actually convicted and sentenced to 10 months in jail in 1896 on the false charge of keeping a disorderly house, which is a euphemism for running a brothel. Uh, and he actually requested a pardon from President Glover, Grover Cleveland for holding a drag ball, which was denied. So back... <laughs> I know, right? No surprise. <laughs> so even back in 1896, there were, there were people doing drag. Um, around this time, the minstrel shows, which are known for blackface, included not only the mocking of African-American men, but also African-American women. And vaudeville, which was a little bit after the minstrel shows in the late 1800s to the early 1900s, had prima donnas who were inspired by European cross-dressing shows. Vaudeville expanded the audience from minstrelsy due to the shifting demographics of the time in the U.S. Some vaudeville stars made it to Broadway impersonating women. One famous one, Julian Elting, published a magazine which provided beauty and fashion tips and posed himself for corset and cosmetics advertisements. A, a, a person named Bothwell Brown on the West Coast ended up in films. But by the early to mid-1900s, female impersonation had become tied to the LGBT community and thus criminality, because that was illegal at the time. So it had to change forms and locations. It moved from being popular mainstream entertainment to something done only at night in disreputable, disreputable areas, such as the Tenderloin in San Francisco, which I mentioned getting my car fixed at today. So it all ties together, people. Um, Drag queens such as Jose Soria and Alicia Brevard first came to prominence in these clubs, such as the Tenderloin Clubs. People went to these nightclubs to play with the boundaries of gender and sexuality, and it became a place for the LGBT community, especially gay men, to feel accepted. We have, uh, in 1933, the movie Victor and Victoria coming out, which is a German film about drag queens working in musical entertainment. In the 1940s and 50s, Arthur Blake was one of the few female impersonators to be successful in both gay and mainstream entertainment, becoming famous for his impersonations of Betty Davis, Carmen Miranda, and Eleanor Roosevelt in nightclubs. At the invitation of the Roosevelts, he performed his impersonation of Eleanor at the White House. Can wow. you imagine? No, I can't. In, That's in so 50s, progressive. Unbelievable. Um, Ed Wood's movie Glen or Glenda came out in 1953, and Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby performed in drag in White Christmas in 1954. I guess I've never seen White Christmas because I don't remember there being any drag in that movie, but I guess it's time to watch it again. It's, I do, I think, remember that. I haven't seen it in years and years. Um, yeah. But there was a whole thing in the 50s, even into the 60s, of comedies where men had to dress up like women in order to like escape something right hide from the yeah. police or they were falsely accused or whatever i think that's different than drag queens oh, for so sure. i think men dressing up as women is is a little bit different than what billy porter it's very different i mean that kind of men dressing up as women is very different from what billy porter is doing but um but there are and there were drag queens you know much way before billy porter and well, there were even Go ahead. Right. Oh, no. And so what I was going to say was uh, we start to get into really murky territory here because there are people who identify as cross-dressers and then there are people who uh, who identify yes. as drag queens and then there are people yes. who perform Poor as men. drag queens, right? Right. And so I think Billy Porter would, would say, and I'm not, you know, I can't speak for Billy Porter if only, but um, I think he would say that he's not a drag queen. 
That, right, I think you're right. He's yeah. a man dressing, dressing, yeah. However, dress. Would would a drag queen love some of those outfits? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they would. Um. So there were even two actual riots in support of LGBT people in the 50s and 60s. Um, one of the first LGBT protests in the U.S. was the Cooper Donuts riot, which was a May 1959 riot in L.A. in responsible to police harassment of LGBT people at the Cooper's Donuts shop, which was a cafe I've on Main Street. I've never heard in- this. This was a cafe on Main Street in downtown Los Angeles between two gay bars, Harold's and the Waldorf, and it was a popular hangout for gay people. At the time, L.A. law made it illegal for a person's gender presentation not to match the gender shown on their ID, and this was often used to target and arrest transgender patrons. For this reason, many gay bars were hostile to transgender patrons and banned or discouraged them from entering. But Cooper Donuts was welcoming to the gay community, and this made it a target for police harassment. Um, they uh, attempted to arrest two drag queens, two male sex workers, and a gay man in May 1959. Um, one person arrested started throwing coffee, donuts, cups, and trash at the police until they fled in their car without making the arrests. Then people started rioting in the streets. Police backup arrived, um, arrested several people. And the Cooper Donuts uprising is often believed to be the first gay uprising in the U.S. And this was 10 years before Stonewall in New York City. Which just goes to show that everything starts in L.A., that's You're right. Welcome, America. <laughs> LA and San Francisco, the Compton's cafeteria oh, okay. riot involves drag queens and occurred in the Tenderloin of San Francisco in 1960. Excuse me, 1966. I've got the hiccups. Um, this riot was a, a response to the violent and constant police harassment of drag queens and trans people, particularly trans women. It marked the beginning of transgender activism in San Francisco. Felicia Flames Elizondo, a participant in the riot, recalled in 2015 that a lot of people thought we were sick, mental trash. Nobody cared whether we lived or died. Our own families abandoned us and we had nowhere to go. One of the trans women in the documentary Screaming Queens noted that a trans woman could get arrested for having the buttons on the wrong side, that is the left side of the shirt where buttons tend to be placed on women's clothing. Because cross-dressing was illegal at the time, police could use the presence of transgender people in a bar as a pretext for making a raid and closing the establishment. In the aftermath of the riot at Compton's, a network of transgender social, physiological, sorry, psychological and medical support services was established, which culminated in 1968 with the creation of the National Transsexual Counseling Unit, the first such peer-run support and advocacy organization in the world. The Compton's cafeteria riot did not solve the problems that transgender people in the Tenderloin face daily, but prompted the city to begin addressing them as citizens rather than as a problem to be removed. Police brutality towards them decreased over time, and they had less fear of being heckled by the police department for dressing how they chose during the daytime. And in 2017, the city of San Francisco recognized the Compton's Transgender Cultural District, which is the first legally recognized, the world's first legally recognized transgender district. And now they've taken the name Compton's off of it because the Compton cafeteria people were actually not friendly to LGBT transgender people, but um, were the ones calling the police. What? Somebody wasn't friendly to transgender people? Hard to believe, right? Hard to believe. Uh, Transgender, uh, sorry, drag queens were also involved in the Stonewall riots, a series of spontaneous violent demonstrations by members of the LGBT community against a police raid that took place in the early morning hours of 28th June 1969 at the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village. These riots are widely considered to be the catalyst for the gay liberation movement and the modern fight for LGBT rights in the United States. So that's it for riots, but we're continuing with the drag queen slash men dressing as women um, 
history theme. We've got um, the Pink Flamingos came out in 1972 with Divine. Best Tim movie Curry. of all time. Uh, I haven't seen it in a hundred years. Oh, okay. Oh, thank God. No, I have seen it. That's a good save. <laughs> wow. You better. I, I, I feel like I saw it in like 1983 or 1982. I almost jumped right through this microphone with the DVD <laughs> in my hand because I would make you watch it. I'll watch it again today just for you. Well, you would have to get stoned because that's the uh, best can't way. Get stoned. I know it's not you're, possible. you're not that kind of girl. Um, it doesn't work for me. I would love to be able to get stoned. I wish I could get stoned. But anyway, not that I've ever tried, uh, coworkers <laughs> and bosses. <laughs> Tim Curry cross-dressed oh, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. What? What? Yeah, you're right. You're employed. <laughs> <laughs> I have a job. <laughs> Uh, in 75, Tim Curry cross-dressed in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and La Casa Fall was released as an adaptation of the play in 78. In 1990, Paris is Burning, a documentary film directed by Jenny Livingston, chronicled the ball culture of New York City and the gay and transgender community involved in it. Did you see Paris is Burning? Oh, of course. My God. Yeah, it's multiple times. It's awesome. It so is fun. my favorite documentary. It's a good documentary. Um and it centers around African-American and Latino drag culture surrounding communities such as Harlem in the 80s. Um, the Avengers of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, came out in 94. Um, I barely want to mention this, but Tuong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie uh, Newmar, uh, came out in 1995. Uh, Wigstock, the movie, came out also in 95. And Hedwig and the Angry Inch premiered in 2001. What do you think about Hedwig and the Angry Inch? Did you see it? I did see it. I don't remember very much about it. Was Tim Curry okay. in it? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know why I think I saw it because of Tim Curry, but um, I didn't think much about it. And nah, yeah. Okay. Mm. I haven't read a lot. I, I remember when it came out. I watched it with Brent when it came out, and we thought it was pretty good. But um, I, I can see looking back on it how there would be things that would distress people, um, and I would like to hear some. Um, some people who were distressed. I would like to hear some people who are... <laughs> Please no, tell I'd us. I'd like to hear some criticism of it, so I'm going to go back on the internet and look for some. Um, and, yeah. Um, this was all before Billy Porter, though. Um, all this stuff happened before he um, really became famous. And I can't not mention RuPaul's Drag Race, which started in 2008, uh, in which RuPaul and a panel of judges selected America's Next Drag Superstar. The show won multiple primetime Emmys, and RuPaul has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And it may still be going on, for all I know. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, it's still going on. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just going to say, yeah, it's still going on. If not, there's probably some knockoffs or, you know, yeah, some spinoffs it, it, of it, it that are happening. For sure. Because it was like, so popular. Oh, there's no way to ever know, though. So there's we'll no way just to ever know. To... Oh, well, we'll move on. And then there was the comedian Eddie Izzard, who uh, initially presented as a transvestite, which is not the same as a drag queen, but definitely a famous man wearing a dress, at least contemporaneously with Billy Porter. And I think you can say that you're almost mainstream when in December 2015, um, the San Francisco Public Library comes out with Drag Queen Story Hour, which was then adopted by the Brooklyn Public Library in 2016 and has since traveled to various libraries, museums, bookstores, recreation centers and parks across the U.S., Canada and the United Kingdom. And, and I love watch- that idea. 
And you can watch uh, Drag Queen Story Hour on Zoom anytime you like. If you just look up, um, I think, uh, I forget her name. I'm sorry. Michelle T is one of them. But uh, you can totally do it in your in your spare time. It's on YouTube now. That makes me I so think. happy. I am going to totally do that. Absolutely. It looked like fun when I was looking at it uh, this morning. So even though he's far from the first, according to NPR, and I think this is the crux of the matter, Porter is fair to critique Stiles' positionality as a straight passing white man who hasn't publicly lived through the isolation and shame of the AIDS crisis or faced career threats like Porter's lived experiences as a black gay man in the acting industry. Stiles, with his largely apolitical stance, presents a more palatable symbol of rejecting gender conformity for Vogue than other more vocal, politically invested, openly LGBT individuals. That speaks to his privilege as point Porter points out, Stiles hasn't had to substantially risk anything in pursuing his artistic self-expression compared to LGBT artists of color. In fact, he's celebrated for it. There are harsher realities for LGBTQ individuals like Porter, where dressing outside the strict confines of the gender binary was risking loss of livelihood or even death. Yeah, that's the, the end. The hard part of it. You know, it's this is our lighter episode, so I will acknowledge <laughs> that um, that we're looking at this topic from a uh, from a place of love and okay, it sounds so gross. Place of love, I hate saying that, but it's true <laughs> in a way. Um, but uh, but we're we are not looking at the numbers of people who are killed for wearing clothing of opposite genders and you know there's there's a lot there there there's a lot there yeah there's um, a lot there and i think i think billy porter is right in in saying that harry styles was not the right person to be on the cover of vogue i think he's wrong in saying that he is the first one to ever do this though oh so. yeah totally agreed i mean when i when i read um what porter said i was like eh, i love you you're cool um but yeah. no but you know, if you want to say like you're the first person on the red carpet that day to do that, yeah, totally, <laughs> right? And I get I always make myself the first and most important person in the room. Always the only person here of with course. brown hair. Well, you are right. So you know, yeah. So so I get it, but also agreed. It's um, not something you know. Harry Styles. I don't know why he did it. Uh, why wore a dress? Right? Well, wouldn't you be on the cover of Vogue, and wouldn't you wear a dress if they asked you to? I mean, hell oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. My God, yeah. If you get Annie Leibovitz in a room and point a camera at me and ask me to do anything, I'm doing it. Absolutely. Right. So yeah, and um, I did not look into why did Harry Styles do this, or you know, is gender fluidity kind of his thing? Because I've never really heard a complaint about Harry Styles, and for me, Billy Porter was the more Billy Porter and and gender norms and gender yeah. queerness were more interesting yeah. to me than Harry Styles, who is a pop star and I'm sure is on the right side of everything. Naturally. Right. He so, must be. Yeah, of course he is. He'll probably be apologizing to Billy Porter soon. Well, or ex or graciously accepting the apology and sending over an amazing tuxedo dress. Oh, a second sweet. one. That tuxedo God. dress was fucking amazing. It was beautiful. It's like the most beautiful article of clothing I've ever seen. I am here. You may dress me. I, we're ready. <laughs> right? We are. For real. Get that, I was going to say get that pen out, but that's a needle. And um, yeah, I don't know anything about clothing or fashion. <laughs> so let's rate the apology. Oh. Um, 
I, I, unless you have more to say. I do. Okay, go. <laughs> yeah. Go, go, go. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I have a little bit about Billy Porter, and then I've got some stuff around gender. So we could do the Billy Porter stuff, rate the apology, and then move on to, like, uh, clothing and gender. Whatever floats your boat. So, all right, cool. Um, okay. So Billy Porter, uh, what was interesting for me was that he had recently written and published a memoir. Uh, it had 78 positive reviews. 77 of them were basically five-star reviews. And one of them was uh-huh. a one-star review from a guy who likes to complain a lot on the internet. So uh, I always look at okay. people that give negative reviews and like, yeah. is this the only one you've ever given? Oh, no, this is what you do. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I don't care about the the negative review from that guy. Um, right. But glowing reviews. And then this is from the book jacket. Um from the incomparable Emmy, Grammy, and Tony Award winner, a powerful and revealing autobiography about race, sexuality, art, and healing. Billy Porter's Unprotected is the life story of a singular artist and survivor in his own words. It is a story of a boy whose talent and courage opened doors for him, but only a crack. It is a story of a teenager discovering himself, learning his voice and his craft amidst deep trauma. And it's a story of a young man whose unbreakable determination led him through countless hard times to where he is now. A proud icon who refuses to back down or hide. Porter is a multi-talented, multi-faceted treasure at the top of his game and unprotected as a resonant, inspirational story of trauma and healing shot through with a singular voice. And I'm going to say, hey. you know that Billy Porter wrote that. <laughs> I am you multi-talented, know, multifaceted. I'm a treasure at the top of my game. Um, yeah, that's a, a high praise, everybody. High praise. That is, indeed, however, the highest. It, it, I will say that made me want to like peek into the book and find out a little bit about like, okay, you know, who's Billy Porter? What's up? And so, to your earlier point about um, clothing, um, he says. Though I could not have articulated it back then, not even to myself, my fixation on fashion went deeper than mere aesthetics. I sense that clothing was a potent signifier that its its import went beyond its visual appeal. Uh, And then he talks about how uh, black female churchgoers would dress Mm -hmm. and um, that many of them were employed during the week as domestic servants or security guards or custodians and were required to wear uniforms meant to reinforce their status as lesser than. To dress impeccably and regally on the Lord's Day then was to insist on their own dignity and worth in a world that sought to systematically strip them of both. It's a way to assert that they were God's children too, and in his house they would adorn themselves in a manner befitting the glory of the Lord." So when Billy Porter was a little boy, he was very effeminate, and his parents um, were worried that he was too effeminate, and he was caught wearing girls' clothing. He was caught wearing his um, aunt's red high heel shoes. And And they sent him to therapy at like five years old. Oh, I didn't realize it was that that he was that young, but I knew that uh, they had sent him to therapy when he was young, and the therapist said, um, "Hey, listen." Yeah, um, he's very effeminate, but he's in a house filled with women. He needs a man. So his mm. mother um, eventually got remarried. I don't know that she got remarried in order to provide him with a male figure in the house, right? Mm. But she got remarried. And then, unfortunately, um, his 
his stepfather sexually abused him. Um, uh, so, uh. That, yeah, right. So his mother, with all good intentions, yeah, would send the stepfather into Billy's bedroom at night to oh my god quiet him if he had a bad dream or make sure he was sleeping and that's when the molestation would occur and oh, breaks your heart oh it's awful and so porter understood this through a lens of he was having an affair with his stepfather because oh. he was gay as a child and it wasn't until uh much later in therapy that he recognized it as that he understood it was abuse right yeah um and then for his mother um so, you know, he was very, very effeminate, super, let's just say flaming gay kid, right? And, um, gosh, this is getting sad. So, <laughs> no, it is sad, though, right? Cause it has a happy ending. It has an amazing ending, right? But so, how do we get to that amazing ending? Um, so, you know, he, he was ostracized for his feminine behavior as a kid, right? And his family was Pentecostal. Super religious, very yeah. uptight religious, not happy very. religious, very religious. No. Sorry to any Pentecostal uh, listeners, um, but yeah, it can. We don't have any Pentecostal listeners. We might, but who knows, I don't think right? So. <laughs> well, maybe for sure we're not going to be on Christian radio. I you, yes, no. uh, but okay. So anyway, um, so his mom loved him regardless, and here's why: aside from the fact that she gave birth to her child, and probably you know was a decent loving person, right? Um, yeah. Uh, my mother was visibly different as a child with a compromised gait and bodily tremors. She once had much more mobility than she does now. Learning to walk was... She's in an assisted care facility now. Um, learning to walk was harder for her than most children, but she managed it. She could hardly hold a pen and her handwriting looked like chicken scratch, but there was nothing wrong with her mind. Unfortunately, in the 1940s, educators were less discerning than they are now, and all disabled children tended to be treated the same way as outcasts mm -hmm. and freaks, regulated to windowless basement classrooms out of sight of mm -hmm. mainstream society. My mother was no exception. Through her elementary school years, she was grouped and shamed with children who had severe cognitive impair impairments. I'm not stupid, just handicapped, was her plaintive refrain, and it remains so even now. So she grew up identified as different, not that she yeah. self-identified as different, but everybody treated her as an outsider. So when she gave birth to a child who was treated as an outsider, she knew what that felt like. Um, and then as to how the stepfather comes into their life, um, we'll say from his book, the world had given up on her before she even began. Salvation seemed to materialize in the form of William Ellis Porter, he was a handsome, dark chocolate babe with almond eyes and a sparkling personality. He was gregarious and sociable, an extrovert, a church boy with a job who checked all the necessary boxes. Most importantly, when he met my mother, he seemed to see past her disability. He was the first man who showed her any romantic interest, and everybody on the planet simply just wants to be seen. My mother was smitten, and the rest is history. Later, she would learn that he had married her on a wager. That is... He had bet his best friend that he could seduce the church cripple. My mother was mm. an easy mark, lonely, naive, a prisoner in her own home who would have done almost anything to get out. It's harder to fathom her fiancé's motives. Oh, I'm Go sorry. Ahead. And I said stepfather. That was his biological father who eventually oh, disappears. Wow. Um, yeah. And so his mother um, is one of his heroes, always treated him 
with kindness and respect. And that's because of her own um, impairment. She had a complicated birth and they gave her mother some sort of, uh, they, they delivered her as if she was premature, but she wasn't premature. And so there's special mm-hmm. like medication and anesthesia that's, that's given mm-hmm. for premature births and uh, it wasn't required. However, she was a black child being born. And as we mm-hmm. know, Black women don't receive the same health care that white women do in this country. Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, just it's I'm sure an amazing read, and and it sounds it. I'm already fascinated. I know, right? Like, I where do you go from there? Except to then rate his apology and then move on to <laughs> other things. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, maybe does any of that uh, potentially change? change your rating because i could say straight from the start that i would give this an eight it's high marks for me well oh excuse me i was gonna give it a four but then i went back and i looked i went back and i looked at our uh, criteria and the criteria are was there an expression of regret and yes there is was there an explanation of what went wrong yeah was there an acknowledgement of responsibility yes was there a declaration of repentance yes he said sorry was there an offer of repair well no i don't know how you would repair that um but there was no (laughs) offer of repair um and there was not really a request for forgiveness kind of a request for forgiveness so I upped my four to a six. Okay, So I cool. think it's much better. So we're both on the positive side of the five. So yeah. it's better than a middling apology. Uh, yeah. It's, it, there, we've had a lot worse apologies on this oh, podcast. Oh, hell, that's why we have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, so I give it a six, you give it an eight, that's a seven. Fourteen divided by two is seven, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And if there's a different way to get to that number, I don't want to know about it. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, and so within this, um, within this topic of Billy Porter, right? I mean, there, there's a lot here that's easy to trip over. We didn't intentionally avoid it, but somehow uh-huh. we didn't really trip it. We tripped over it a little bit with drag queens and, and identity, right? Like, right. is Billy Porter a drag? Does he identify as a drag queen? Is he gender fluid? Is he gender queer? And I, I think gender queer is just kind of the easiest way to say for anybody. He says he's gay. Well, right. So somebody who's gay, you could say, but well, they're gender queer because you know. Oh, sure. The, yeah, the, if you're not straight. Yeah, exactly. Either. Right. You, right. Men like women. If you're a man who likes a man, a man, a man, um, then boom, you're gender queer. Right. So that feels like a safe way. Uh, safe way. It feels like a grocery store. It feels like a a good umbrella term to use for this discussion. And then... Wait a minute, um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. So wouldn't genderqueer be somebody who... Is that a gender identity thing rather than a gender preference thing? So great question, but you could argue that gender identity would be expectations like, around behavior based on your biology. And the expectation from 90, maybe even 95% of society is that if you have a vagina, you like a a man, right? Right. But what I'm saying is, if if you're gender queer, does that mean you don't assign it? You don't identify. Oh, as I see. Cis I see what you're saying. Right. Um, rather uh, than gay or straight. I don't know what where academics uh, stand on that officially yet. 
Um, so no way to find out. Let me let me look and see. There's no way to find out. We'd have to <laughs> call a professor and ask them. But for me, saying I'll gender, call the library. Gender. <laughs> okay, <laughs> mail them a letter. Okay, it says the term genderqueer means someone who does not follow binary gender norms. They may be non-binary, agender, pangender, gender fluid, or another gender identity. Okay, right. And so gender norms might say would be who who you're sexually attracted to. But, right, so it starts to get into like all these, well, it doesn't start to get into, there are all these fine lines, right? Like yeah. a, a transvestite versus um, a, a, drag a, queen. a drag queen, right? And... Um, I'm going to shut up there because it just starts to get into places where it's like, I don't have any authority to say, this is what that is, right? Um, I'm here to learn. So uh, within that, um, yeah, you're right. I probably shouldn't use the term genderqueer to talk about people's sexual preferences. Um, it's not, I mean, I wouldn't identify as genderqueer, but if somebody said I was genderqueer, I'd be like, all right, I'm not going to fight you. Um <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, but yeah, so uh, queer black people have been changing culture forever. Um, Paris is Burning, as you mentioned, the documentary, amazing and wonderful. And within that film, we had sort of uh, mainstream society's entree into the world of houses and how black, gender, queer, well, I did it again, right? But queer, we'll just use queer. Right. Yeah. Uh, black queer people um, who are thrown out by their own families, gather together and find safety and and familial connection and friendship living together. And they will commonly adopt the same last name, as we saw in our um, move and Philadelphia bombing. We right. Had the, right. You know, Africa the, family, the Africa family. Same thing, um, uh, which. I'm going to guess, started long before uh, John Africa founded the Africa family. So anyway, all right, so mm -hmm. Paris is Burning is there. We have the film uh, Tangerine. Have you ever seen? And yes, you have. Have you seen Tangerine? I think so, but I don't oh, recall. Thank God. Okay. Uh, it's about two transgendered sex workers and their day across L.A. tracking down uh, the boyfriend of one of them who's been cheating. I think so. Okay, it's amazing. And uh, that film broke a lot of boundaries. It was the first film filmed with an iPhone 5 entirely. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, 5S. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, and it's the first film that actively campaigned for openly transgender actresses for the Academy Awards. Um, cool. So very cool, right? And so this whole topic of like a guy wearing women's clothing sparked something in the back of my mind where it's like, didn't boys used to wear girls' dresses when they? And yes, right. Children were styled as as girls, um, and I'll say styled versus raised, right? So boys would have longer hair; um, it would be curled. Uh, they would wear dresses. Um, it's thought and believed that that made uh, changing diapers easier, right? Um, and so from Vogue 1900, they outlined the stages of dressing boy children very specifically. Long dresses until six months, then short dresses up until the age of three. Then either Russian blouses with knickers or kilt suits up until the age of five or six. 
Harper's oh, Bazaar noted that boys were usually put into trousers as soon as they were too old for baby frocks. All right. Whatever that means. Okay. Uh, I don't know what that means either. But I guess it was understood universally in the 1900s because Vogue didn't see yeah. a reason to. Oh, and how interesting that it's Vogue. I just caught that. Yeah, right. Yeah. I know. I did that on purpose. Nothing on the <laughs> show is ever an accident. Um, and then, of course, the this idea of boys dressing as girls, right, which was fairly common up until about the World War II, I'm going to mm-hmm. guess, right? Um there was also boys and girls colors, so blue for boys, pink for girls, sort of the thing we all grow up with, and that wasn't the case. Um, a June 1918, June 1918 article from a trade publication called Earnshaw's Infants Department said, The generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. The reason is that pink, being a more decided and stronger color, is more suitable for the boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. And pink for boys and blue for girls remained the hard, fast rule until about the 1940s, and it switched simply based on consumer demand. Oh, People were buying pink for girls, and so retail was just like, okay, we give up. Um, and then, of huh. course, yeah, I mean, weird, right? Um, that is weird. But interesting, too, because I grew up with blue for boys, right? Um, so governments have long been, governments and cultures have long been trying to control the way that people dress. Uh, sumptuary laws are laws that societies create that tell you like how you can dress for your social position, how you can dress if you're male, female, if you make this much money, that much money, the types of fabrics you can wear. Um, silk has been forbidden to uh, men in many cultures for a long, long time, right? So the first written Greek law code uh, dates from the 7th century BC, and this is great, and it stipulates that a freeborn woman may not be accompanied by more than one female slave unless she is drunk. She may not leave the city during the night unless she is planning to commit adultery. She may not... Yeah. She may not wear gold jewelry or a garment with a purple border unless she is a courtesan. And a husband may not wear a gold-studded ring or a cloak of Milesian Milesian fashion unless he is bent upon prostitution or adultery. Um, And so silk, fur, and the color purple have been denied to various groups of people throughout time by very many cultures cool, whatever, particularly prostitutes weren't allowed to wear fur. And my Mm. guess is to deny them warmth so that they wouldn't be outside prostituting themselves. I don't know. Can't help it. Too good for them. Fur is too good for them. Fur is too good for them, maybe. Um, And then to your point about, um, uh, I don't remember what you called it, but about police arresting people for their clothing, Right. So there's something that was called the three-piece law, and academically it's kind of argued that, well, this law never existed and nobody in the periods called it the three-piece law. It was just sort of in hindsight that that terminology was born, right? Okay. But whatever. So there were laws uh, criminalizing cross-dressing across the United States in the 19th century. 
Uh, New York mm-hmm. had one dating back to 1845, and it was declared a crime to have your face painted, discolored, covered, or concealed, or be otherwise disguised while in a road or public highway. Here's oh. why. The state originally intended the law to punish rural farmers who had taken a dressing like Native Americans to fend off tax collectors. So they dressed oh, wow. up. Yeah, you know, we're going to dress up like a Native American. I don't owe you any money. I'm a right. Native American. Okay, wow. goodbye. Have a nice day. Thanks. Um, and then in Brooklyn in 1913, uh, this is an actual case. A woman was dressed in men's clothing, and she was arrested for drinking and smoking in a bar. A magistrate, she was dragged in front of, noted that this clothing law was really intended to be used for people who were dressing to disguise themselves in order to commit a crime. And since this woman had been dressed as a man, not to commit, not to, you know, commit a crime, but she was just dressed as a man. The, now the law had been broken, right? Mm-hmm. So the police arrested her again five seconds later um, for associating with idle and vicious persons. And she oh. was sentenced to three years in a reformatory. Jesus. Oh and the God. judge noted, no girl would dress in men's clothing unless she is twisted in her moral viewpoint. Huh. Um, this law was kind of loosely at the time called the masquerade law. Um, And police uh, used it to arrest transgender people and and queer people who were dressed in air quotes around inappropriately. Right. So the, the, the understood law was you had to have three articles that befit your biological gender. Right. Oh, so if you were female, you need to have, Female underwear, a bra, and, I don't know, a ribbon in your hair or something, right? And the cops would actually check. So you could wear men's shoes, but you better have on a skirt or whatever, right? Yeah. So uh, the law itself, the masquerade law, remains on the books. In fact, uh, police arrested somebody in 2011, um, and that somebody was a lot of somebodies. They were protesters in Occupy Wall Street movement. And they were arrested under that law um, for wearing masks in public. Um, And so, and this one I'm going to mark for like a future apology because I think we, Mm -hmm. it just feels like we have to do this one. Um, So in June of 2019, the NYPD police commissioner, James P. O'Neill, offered an apology on behalf of the city's police force for their actions at the Stonewall hotel, I think, but Stonewall Bar for yeah. sure. Uh, thank you. For, uh, about 50 years earlier, uh, the actions taken by the NYPD were wrong, plain and simple. And I think, uh, yeah, for sure, that's a future episode. And yeah. then just attack on because this, oh my God, I was like, here's a rabbit hole I could live in. I'm going to use the term cross-dressers. Right. Mm-hmm. And by that, I just simply mean people of one gender who are wearing clothing typically ascribed to the opposite gender. Right. Mm-hmm. So famous cross dressers. First one, Joan of Arc. I mean, of course. Right. Oh, she yeah. dressed as a man. Um, she went into battle. And many people will tell you that she was burned at the stake for witchcraft. That is not true. She was burned at the stake for repeated heresy. And that heresy was wearing men's clothing. 
Wow. Yeah. Um, there's the case of Mary Reed, who was a pirate from 1690. Well, she was born in 1690 to 1721. She wasn't a baby pirate, Theo. Um, <laughs> so she was raised by a she was raised by a boy. No, she was raised as a boy by her mother in England. She joined the military and she was captured by pirates. And she decided, oh, I'm going to be a pirate. And she became a pirate and she joined wow. Anne Bonnie's crew. Um, there's a story that Bonnie tried to seduce Anne and discovered that, oh, wow, you're a woman. And they became friends. Uh, they were both captured and they are the only two women in history to be convicted of piracy. Wow. We have Queen Christina of Sweden, whom I've heard of, but I would, I, and I might have put down in like the queer category, but uh -huh. here's her story. So she lived from 1626 to 1689. Um, her dad gave her a masculine upbringing. He wanted her to be strong. She became queen at 18, but she abdicated 10 years later because her counselors wanted her to get married and have kids. Um, she dressed as a man to get out of Sweden and she became Catholic. She went to Rome, and the Pope gave her a special dispensation to continue wearing men's clothing. And she's wow. currently, yeah, I know. The Pope's not all bad all the time. I mean, maybe that was for an evil reason. Who knows? I didn't look into why the Pope allowed that. Um, and she's buried in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. She's only one of two women. Uh, we have Deborah Sampson, who from seven, well, born in 1760, died in 1827. She fought in the Revolutionary War. She was shot on a battlefield, and she was so afraid of being found out as a woman in men's clothing on a battlefield that she told her fellow soldiers to leave her there to die. They didn't listen to her, and they dragged her to a hospital. She escaped the hospital, and she removed a bullet from her own thigh. Ugh. Went back to fighting. Um, in Ugh. 1783, she was found out uh, by... Uh, by doctors at another hospital. Uh, she received an honorary discharge from the military. She married and she <laughs> had kids. And then she went on speaking tours dressed in her old uniform. Um, it's thought that up to 400 women may have dressed as men to fight in the Civil War, a different war, right? She was fighting in the Revolutionary War. Um, this next one really gave me pause. Um, and I'm going to mispronounce the name, so I am sorry. My Mandarin is non-existent. Uh, there's a man named Shi Pei Pu, right? She, mm -hmm. we're just going to call him Shi. Uh, mm -hmm. Lived from 1938 to 2009. Wow. wow. Uh, well, I guess it's only 70 years. I guess it's not that long. <laughs> it seems like it. I yeah. felt like so old because I see a 19 and then 2009. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, uh, hey, here I sit. I guess my mom's older than that. And she's still alive. So so that big wow was completely <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> but it seemed like a miracle at the time. <laughs> like, did he write a history book? Okay. So he was a, a Chinese male opera singer. And he met a French embassy employee named Bernard Bursico. Bursico? We're going to call him Bernard. And they met in Berlin. And she was 26 years old. And she convinced Bernard that he, the Chinese uh, opera singer, was actually a woman huh. masquerading as a man. So. Huh. 
Yeah, this his name first name being she is going to get confusing. So right. we're, we're going to call him Pei, right? So she okay. Pei Pu. So um, Pei had an affair with Bernard for twenty years. Wow, twenty years, Bernard! Wow. Come on, come on, that's come nuts. On. That's crazy. So they had an affair for twenty years. Pei um, even claimed to have gotten pregnant and have had a son by Bernard. My gosh. Um, so Bernard gave documents to the Chinese government to help protect Pei's position in the Communist Party. So the idea is the Communist Party knew that Pei was having an affair with Bernard, and they said to Bernard, hey, you got to give us something, because otherwise Pei is going to get into a lot of trouble with us for associating with the European, right? Mm. And so Bernard did this to protect his girlfriend slash wife slash mother of his child. Right. Bernard, in 1982, what were you doing in 1982? Because I was going to school um, in 1982. Bernard brought Pei and his son to Paris or their son to Paris. Pei was arrested for espionage and Pei's identity was revealed. And Bernard attacked Pei and slashed his throat. My God. Pei survived and M. Butterfly apparently is loosely based on Pei's life. Never wow. heard this. Never, ever, ever. I've seen M. Butterfly. I actually went to see the the play. And yeah, I've seen it, too. I've seen the opera. Yeah, it was beautiful and boring. Madam Butterfly. Um, okay, so then we have two more. That's it. Uh, Marina, the aesthetic monk of the 5th century, A.D., C.E., uh, so the year 400, right? And her father joined a monastery, and she insisted on going with him, so she dressed up as a boy. They both joined the monastery. Her dad died, and she stayed on. Hmm. Meanwhile, a girl around the monastery in the village got pregnant, and she blamed <laughs> Marina, who was going <laughs> by the male name Marinos. Yeah. Marinos was forced to leave the monastery and oh. raise the child as hers for years until she died at the age of 40. Upon wow. her death, she was discovered to be a woman, and they figure that she didn't say anything because she didn't want to embarrass the girl. That's weird. Crazy. Right. Well, I mean, you know, here they are guessing later. I don't think that right, Marina left a letter like, I am raising this child to save that poor girl from embarrassment. She doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Of course yeah. not. Right. So, yeah. all right. Um, and then our last one, Charles Dion, who was a diplomat, um, who lived from 1728 to 1810. In 1756, he was sent by the French government to Russia to help establish diplomatic uh, channels. He dressed as a woman and became a maid of honor to the empress. Later, he worked in London, where it like it was so talked about, is he a man, is he a woman, what the fuck is going on, right? That bets were placed on the stock exchange as to wow. whether he was a man or a woman. I mean, that's how public the debate was. Wow. Right? Um, he returned to France and he told everybody that he had been born a girl and he was raised as a boy because of some inheritance dispute happening in the family. And his parents mm. just decided it was better to hide uh, hide things, whatever, right? It feels a little bit like a bullshit line to me. Um, mm -hmm. However, the French king was like, yeah, sure. Just make sure that you always dress appropriately as a woman. Okay, I'll do that. And then wow. um, upon his death, discovered he was anatomically male. Huh. So, um, interesting. 
yes, Billy, you are fierce and you are an icon. You weren't the first. No. But maybe you were the first not to get so much flack for it. I don't know. I want to give him something. Yeah. Uh, Applause. I don't know. Applause. Yay, Billy Porter. Double yay, Billy Porter. It sounds like it's not a yay, though. (laughs) Oh, hey, did you know that um, Raquel Welch thinks that Mae West was a man? No, I did not know that. Uh, apparently, yeah. And I think Raquel Welch is uh, rather problematic and not in terms of misogyny or sexism or anything. I think sort of she became super right wing. But oh. I could be wrong about that. Well, her and Mary Tyler Moore, um, our little Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. Right wing as they come. Yeah. Mary Tyler Moore is right wing? Oh, well, she is She is dead. So now she is she's she probably not right still wing? voting. She was very right wing. Yeah. Like, oh, what uncom- a bummer. Like, would have been a Trumpist. Yeah, uncomfortably so. Um, oh. And so I didn't read why, because, you know, I'm lazy. I didn't read why, yeah, Raquel. Sure. Well, I'm just looking at this headline. <laughs> but so here's my Hollywood brag. I remember in Hollywood when I was hanging out in a bar, um, talking with some older guy who was telling me all these really long, fascinating stories about old Hollywood, right? You you yeah. can tell me anything from old Hollywood in the 1920s, and I am fascinated. I just love yeah. that period, right? Um, cool. So, and he, it's the first time and the only time that I had ever heard that Mae West was a man. So this guy claimed that Mae West was a man and that the proof was going to come out 100 years after Mae West had died. And I, I don't know when that was. Bullshit, not bullshit. Did he pick it up from Raquel Welch? Probably, right? Um, But yeah, so that's my story, and that's as far as it goes. Mae West died in uh, 1980, so wow, we had a long time to wait. We're never going to know. We're never going to know. You and I will never know. No, we'll be dead. Okay, this is my raison (laughs) d'etre. I must live. To 2088. <laughs> <laughs> Raquel Welch thinks Mae West was a man. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the same headline I read. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But look at you coming in with the fresh break of news. <laughs> I mean, that was yeah, a good episode, actually, but um, this one is, yeah. yeah, this one I'm not going to feel bad when I walk away from the mic. Um, That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yay. Uh, so let's talk about the maturation of who's sorry now. Oh, yes. Right. Uh, um, our, our who's sorry now uh, segment is growing and changing. Um, it is now going to be... Um, sort of who's sorry now and who's sorry later, but we'll call it apologies expected. So for those apologies that um, are, we expect uh, will be coming down the pike uh, anytime now, people who have done things that need to apologize for, or people who have done things that we think they will apologize for. So um, the first apologies expected, uh, Theo, would you like to go first? Um, I'll go, I can go first. second. Yeah. Why don't okay. you go first? 
my first apology is expected is a little bit mundane, but it's from Newark Airport. Newark is named America's worst airport for delayed arrivals with a quarter of all flights arriving late, which is a lot of fucking flights. That's one out of four. (laughs) Are you sure about that? For those of you who don't understand math like me, that's a lot. (laughs) That's like 40%. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Well, it's 140th somehow in math. I bet you could make that happen. It's got to be. There's one out of four. There's got to be another four in there. It's got to be a 40. So that's my apologies expected. Okay, what's yours? Okay, um, mine is apology expected, and um, we're going to see if this one happens, right? Um, yep. Maureen Dowd. Maureen Dowd? What does she do? What hasn't she done? So <laughs> Maureen Dowd is a, is a journalist who writes an opinion piece writer who writes for the New York Times. And I, in general, I was going to say when I was thinking about, like, apology expected, right? Like, who really is going to be a... Who's done something they're going to apologize for later? And I went straight to the media in general, right? Because they really are fucking up the culture. Uh, Yeah. I'm not one of these people that believes, like, the media has an agenda or the media is some coordinated... No, the, the media simply tries to make money and they do that by... creating stories they know people are going to buy or click on right and so we're all at fault and we're bad and this is and this is all on us but okay cool the media still is over sensationalizing every fucking thing and the biden administration is doing good work but you wouldn't know that in the media jesus christ it seems like it's all falling apart uh president xi of china called Biden week. And it's like, um, guys, you're not helping anything here. I get you miss all the sweet, sweet money you were earning under Trump when he was setting the country on fire, left, right and center. Uh, But come on, we don't you don't have to shit all over Biden just to make a buck. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so Maureen Dowd, this came on my radar this morning when I was like, it can't be the general media. Right. And then I saw that she was trending on Twitter and I was like, oh, yeah, OK, cool. Right. Let's see. Let's see what's going on. What has she said now mm-hmm. that makes people angry? And I read her article and she's got some really valid points because, of course, she does. Right. Mm-hmm. You would be writing for The New York Times if you just wrote shit that pe- made people. Maybe you would if you just wrote shit that made people angry. <laughs> um, and Coulter, I'm looking at you. But uh, totally. I'm going to say this line really struck me. And it is. Um, So she's talking about Biden, right, and the Democratic Party in general. And the headline of the piece is, wokeness derails the Democrats. And it's just basically how there's so much infighting and all this nonsense, right? All right, cool. If that's your story, that's your story. I mean, they just passed a $1 trillion public works uh, bill. I think that's pretty amazing, right? Uh, Yeah. They just ended the war. Maybe it didn't end uh, as smoothly as... People would have liked, but I'll remind everybody that Trump's the one who actually rendered the war because he's the one who made the agreement with it. He fucking called the Taliban on the phone and had a conversation with them. And uh, <laughs> I don't hear anybody, but whatever. My, it just gets, it drives me crazy. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> but so here's the line that uh, really struck me as, as the centerpiece of media's hypocrisy or the media just shooting itself in the fucking foot. It's like they're trying to set the country on fire. Um, So according to Dowd, 
Biden has pursued his two bills with Captain Ahab-like zeal. He pines to be FDR and eclipse Barack Obama, who pushed him aside for Hillary. Um, what? No, I, I mean, it's nice that you can paint that picture, Ms. Dowd, but I don't think that's fair. I mean, one, who wouldn't want to be FDR, remembered as FDR? Everybody would love to be, like, you know, an American hero. But I think Biden's just simply trying to do what's good for the country. Yeah. And so to paint that kind of a spin so on it um, is a way to sell papers. I get it. And so, Super annoying. And whatever. But yeah, that, you know, come on, media. So, yes, a uh, hundred years from now, the media is going to turn around and say, oh, yeah, God, we really we fucked up there. We should have been better. So journalism, oh, raise your standards. Hurt. Apology expected. But I know I'll be waiting until hell freezes over. I think I might get my Newark Airport apology before you get your Maureen Dowd apology. I think I'm going to be finding out about Mae West before. <laughs> For sure. So, yeah, okay. I like that. That's a fun segment. Yeah. So we'll do that. We'll alternate that with who's sorry now. Uh, whenever we have something to apologize for, we'll be sure to admit it live on the air. I'm sorry that I am not as fabulous as Billy Porter. And, oh, I wish I were as fabulous as Billy Porter. Oh, my God. I don't. I mean, I was going to say I don't wear clothing. That's not true. I don't have the energy to be Billy Porter. Yeah, that's true. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> or, or that's true for me. I'm not saying it's true. That oh, you, it's totally true for me. I don't have the energy to be myself. <laughs> well, I don't have the energy to be you, right? Because I'm not Juliet. You're um, not Juliet, and I'm, I'm not, not Theo. And, this and we is will be apologies back accepted. next week with another Apologies Accepted. Yay! Yay! Okay, bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at apologiesaccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at apologies.accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>